Okay there, saints. Exodus chapter 27. Again. But next week, <laughs> Exodus chapter 28. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we are so, so grateful for the time that we've spent seeing, Lord, this amazing, amazing type. This tabernacle. The picture of, of you, Jesus, there in heaven, humbling yourself to become a man, and that humbling yourself to the point of being a servant, and that to the point of death. We're so grateful for your sacrifice, for your blood, for the cross, that it is that which redeems us, that which makes us whole, that which brings us to the place that we can serve you, not of duty, but of desire, Lord. That it, it's not a labor of the law, but it becomes this labor of the love. And, and we're so thankful, Lord, that you've given us these depictions and these pictures and these understandings. And now continue, Lord, that ministry. Continue to show us, Lord, what it is that you have for us. Speak to us. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church, and it is to your heart, and so that we can gravitate to really understand the foundation of what it is that, that we need to be, how we need to come and approach you, Lord. And so, draw us, Lord, to that foundation, draw us to your heart. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we finish up here in chapter 27 of Exodus, we're looking at verses 20 and 21. For those of you that are reading ahead in chapters 28, 29, as we get further on, we're going to see that it is now dealing with the priesthood and how the priesthood will come and minister to the Lord. Let me just jump ahead for just a moment to Exodus 28, verse 1. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. And so we see here that there's this ministry that's going to be taking place. And so we've seen now up to this point that person, the ministry of Jesus Christ, as it's depicted here in this understanding of the tabernacle. To give you an idea, there in Exodus chapter 25, when we begin this portion, it says there in verse 8 and 9, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is a pattern of the tabernacle, a pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And so we've seen here this incredible picture, this incredible understanding of what this tabernacle is, how it is simply declared that this is this truly this copy the shadow we've also referenced there in hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 where it says who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things as moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle for he god said see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain so we understand that all this was a copy, it was a shadow, it was a type, it was a depiction of Jesus Christ. And as we've noted, it began there in the Holy of Holies. It doesn't have, you know, out with the altar and we work our way to the Holy of Holies. This is the Holy of Holies and it works its way outward. And as we saw, it's more of a depiction there of, of where 
Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider Robert to be equal with God, but he makes himself of no reputation. It's God becoming a man, humbling himself, and then to the point of, as, as we looked at with the, the, the altar, there that ending sacrifice. And then we began to see last week after that, basically that outer court and how it began to show us that there is a place of being in Christ or being out of Christ, and there's only one access through Christ. Now we come to this last portion. The last portion, as you guys know, let me read these two verses to you. We'll jump into our study, Exodus chapter 27, verse 20 and 21. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So what we're seeing here is basically the pure oil of pressed olives. This is what we're looking at. And so as we look at this pure oil of pressed olives, understand that what it is is this. It is for the light, and it is to cause the lamps to burn continually. In other words, you can be there and you can set the wicks and you can trim the wicks and you can clean up all that. But if you don't have the oil for the lamp, no matter what you've done to the wick, no matter what you've done to the preparation, nothing's going to be happening. And then it says that this is in the tabernacle, meaning outside the veil. So it's not inside the Holy of Holies. It's there with the lampstand on the outside. And then it says this, where Aaron and his sons shall tend it. There's a ministry that is going to go on to, from the priesthood unto the Lord. And it declares this at the end of verse 21, it shall be a statute forever. So understand it is pure oil. It is olive oil. It is to cause the lamps to burn continually. It is for Aaron and his sons to tend to it and it shall be a statute forever. Now, when we come to this area of understanding that what we're seeing here is all this is a depiction of Jesus Christ. What we're about to do is this, we're about to turn a corner. So within this passage in verse 20 and 21, what it declares to us is this, is the, basically this is the last of the ministries of Jesus Christ that enables us now to minister to God. So we're about to see here the, the final ministry that Jesus Christ does to enable us now to begin to access our way back into the presence of God. And so this is what we're looking at. When it comes to the oil, when it comes to the olive oil, and it comes to the anointing, we understand that so often that that oil is this symbol and type of the anointing or the Holy Spirit. So that's something that for you note takers, you should have down. This oil here is a type, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. There is a, a passage, and I don't want you to turn there, I want you actually to turn to Luke chapter four, because I'm gonna be quoting this again, but in Luke chapter four, beginning in verse 16, he will quote 
Isaiah chapter 61. And in Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and open the prison to those who are bound. So understand that it talks about an anointing, but it also talks not only about just the anointing, but it is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to this, understand that when we see this anointing oil, when we see the oil that is there placed inside these lamps in order to cause the light to burn, that there is an understanding that this is the type of the Holy Spirit. Is it the Holy Spirit that causes the light to burn? Now, when it comes to the anointing, understand that this is Jesus Christ. It's his ministry over and over again. That's why we're looking at this passage here in Luke chapter 4. In verses 16 to 21, it declares this. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as his custom was. And he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So he opens the scroll, goes to the end of the scroll, and he declares this in verse 18 of Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So we begin to see here, there's this understanding of the anointing. As we'll look in just a moment, we're going to understand that there's an anointing that went to the priest. There's an anointing that goes on to everything that is consecrated. And of course, that we in this day and age as a church, we anoint as well. And so, but what we do is we anoint with oil. What, what Jesus did is, is he anointed with the Holy Spirit, which is why oil is just simply a type of the Holy Spirit. But it says again in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberties to the captive, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So understand that the Lord had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it talks about here that he received the anointing. And as he has the anointing of the Spirit, it enables him to do the ministry that God has called him to do. Now, I need you to understand that there's one part of this that begins to have a change. Now, understand what begins to happen. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, I want to read just a couple of verses there, verse 16 and 17. Then I want to jump to John 16. But in John chapter 14, Beginning in verse 16 and 17, Jesus declares this statement. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. At this point, it's one of these beautiful statements that Jesus makes to say, listen, I have another ministry that I'm about to do. Now I'm going to go to the cross. Understand, that's something that I have to do. It's going to redeem you. But I'm going to pray to the Father and he's going to give you another helper. He's going to give you another one who's going to come alongside. He's going to become one who's going to minister to you. And then it says this, that he may abide with you forever. So as Jesus is going to heaven, he's going to bring another to come and minister to us. And then he tells us who this person is, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So understand that it declares the person as an individual, the, the spirit as an individual person. It says it is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For one, he dwells with you. He's alongside of you and he will be in you. And so it's a beautiful thing that when Jesus was resurrected, he breathed on his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved from being with them to in them. In the book of Acts, he would tell about the Holy Spirit then coming upon you, which is understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the immersion of that. But I want you to understand that what we see here is that Jesus is about to pray for the Holy Spirit. Why? In John 16, beginning in verse 7, I want to read all the way down to verse 15 so you can understand this context. This is the ministry of Jesus Christ. He says in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So begin to understand the fullness of what we're seeing. This is that last ministry of Jesus Christ. Yes, he goes to the cross. He dies for our sin. He then goes and he's in the grave and he's resurrected. But he makes this statement, I need to go away, for if I do not go away, I cannot send you the Holy Spirit. The last ministry that he does, although he's already still ever you know, making intercession for us, but the ministry that we begin to see here in our text is that, yes, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, but then he does what? Then he gives the Holy Spirit to those who are going to minister to God. So this is this change. It's a huge foundation. When we're looking at the, the anointing oil. Yes, it's Jesus Christ. He was the anointed one. He was the one who was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Father said, I'm going to anoint you and I'm going to send you. And you're going to be doing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now what we do is this. We also receive the Holy Spirit, but the beautiful thing is that what we as a church do is we do the anointing not by simply giving the Holy Spirit. We actually do the symbolizing of it by anointing with oil. 
So we have this type, this symbol as the church that we've also received the Holy Spirit because this is that final work of Christ. And then with the Holy Spirit in us, what do we do? Now we begin to minister to the Lord. But the key is this. We do not minister of our own. We surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. And what we do unto the Lord, we do under the ministry and the guidance and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're seeing here as the anointing oil that we see, the oil that fills the lamp, is this. That oil that fills the lamp, first and foremost, it's the Holy Spirit that filled Jesus but it's also the Holy Spirit that he gives to us as the last of the ministry. So it's the last thing that we see as part of his ministry. He's filled with the Holy Spirit to minister, but then he gives us the Holy Spirit. And then we take that same power, that same purity, and we bring that into it. Because remember, it's a pure oil and it is to do what? It's to allow it to burn continually. That we don't accept the Holy Spirit and then, oh, now I got this. No, it's always the work of the Holy Spirit that shines what we're to do. And so back in our text of John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, verse 13, when he... The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He, this is the Holy Spirit of truth. Verse 14, he will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So understand what happens here with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has the Holy Spirit and eventually as he is anointed with the Spirit, he's now going to give the Spirit to the disciples. Let me give you one passage that anchors this in or should anchor this in found in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter 10, we begin to see here that, that Peter is called to make this incredible declaration. And as he comes to this home of Cornelius, a Gentile, what we begin to see this is that Peter, in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word, 
verse 36, which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Now, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, but the Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee under the baptism which John preached. Now, notice verse 38, and this is key. The two key verses are going to be verse 38 and verse 44, but look at verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now we see the Trinity in this passage. We see that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes as Luke depicts him as a man. Yes, he was fully God. He was fully man. But as Luke begins to show us that what Jesus did, he did it as a man under that inspiration and the empowering and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So verse 38 is key to this. Because God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Along with the Holy Spirit comes the power. He goes about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Now verse 39. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did. Both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Whom they killed. And in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. Now notice verse 44. This is key. Verse 38, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. But in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Not only was Jesus anointed with the Holy Spirit, but then the Holy Spirit comes upon the people themselves. Verse 44 again, while Peter was still speaking these words. In other words, Peter was going along in his message. God interrupted, simply gave the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit fell upon all those who heard. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. It's an amazing thing that what we begin to see is when it comes to this point of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, what we're seeing is the, the oil that goes into these receptacles the first receptacle is Jesus Christ. Now, after his death and his resurrection, he still sends the same anointing, the same Holy Spirit that now fills us continually. And so understand that this is a shift. 
It's the last of the ministry of Jesus Christ as he was filled with the Spirit, but it's the first of the ministry with us as we also need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, to give you an anchor back to the Old Testament, I want you to go to a passage that you know well, but I want to bring this back to us in remembrance for just this understanding of the context that we're now looking at, the Holy Spirit being this foundation to our ministry to the Lord as well. Found in the book of Zechariah. You know where Zechariah is? Go to Matthew back up to you. Find yourself in Zechariah. And there in chapter 4 is an amazing passage dealing with these two people, Joshua and Zerubbabel. Joshua being the high priest, Zerubbabel being the governor. In the third chapter, we already saw that Joshua, the high priest, was before the Lord. He was filthy in his garments. God cleansed him. And now we begin to see that this ministry of needing to build the temple and the city, and this is what Zechariah begins to try to deal with. He tries to wake them up from their apathy of not continuing in the work of God. In verse 1 of Zechariah chapter 4, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and, the, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Now we understand that he's talking about the menorah there in the holy place. This is that lampstand. This is what we're looking at here in our text, the oil that goes into this lamp. And so when he says, hey, what do you see? I see the menorah. I see the lampstand there in the holy place. And then in verse 3, he says, two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. This is what God is going to speak to the governor here in Jerusalem. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Any ministry that we do unto the Lord, it must not be by might. It must not be by our strength. It must not be by our, our power. But it must be led and directed and empowered, anointed, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. So when God says it's not going to be by might, it's not by the collective strength of Jerusalem, it's not by the power of, of human manpower or intuition, but it's going to be by the Spirit. You're not going to trust in your own wisdom. You're not going to trust in your own resources. You're not going to trust in your own understanding of things and your ability to do it, you're going to trust in the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And then he says this, 
Who are you, O great mountain? He's speaking about in this O great mountain, he's referring to Babylon. Revelation 8, 8 is a good reference for you. But he says, who are you, great mountain, before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. So how is Babylon wiped out? Now keep in mind, this is a little tiny remnant that Babylon had come and wiped out the temple, had wiped out Jerusalem, had taken them all captive, kept them there for 70 years. And now they're coming back. And he says, what is Babylon? Babylon is going to become a plain. Babylon is going to become nothing. It's no longer a powerhouse. It's no longer something that looks huge and intimidating. It's a flat plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. We understand that this amazing work is going to be a work not of man's ingenuity, ingenuity not of man's power, but it's going to be simply the grace of God and the spirit of God. And so I love it. He said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. In verse 8, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this temple. His hand shall also finish it. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts had sent me to you. For who is despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. In other words, the one that's going to build the temple. They are the eyes of the Lord which scans to and fro throughout the whole earth. So, we begin to see that here he's talking about here the, the work of God. He sees everything through the Spirit. And in verse 11, then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its, at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? And he said... To me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. He said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. So these two are anointed with the Spirit. Zerubbabel and Joshua, the spiritual and the political leader here in Jerusalem. And it talks about here that their ministry that they're going to do in the finishing of the building of the temple is going to be what? It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And it has to be work of the Spirit. And any work that we do unto the Lord needs to have this foundation that it has to be the Holy Spirit. That's why when we come to this portion at the very end of Exodus chapter 27 and we move into Exodus chapter 28 where it begins the ministry of the priest, those who minister to the Lord, not, not, not for the Lord, but to the Lord, there has to be this anointing, there has to be the Holy Spirit, which is why this is that foundation, it's that hinge, it swivels, the Holy Spirit goes to Christ, Christ gives the Holy Spirit to us, we bring the Holy Spirit back in our ministry as we come to minister to God. So, as we see this, understand that what Scripture is depicting over and over again is that there has to be a working of the Holy Spirit. 
If it isn't of the Holy Spirit, there's a warning that Scripture gives us. Remember when we went through the book of Matthew. When we went through the book of Matthew, there in chapter 25, we went through this portion, and it was a very instructive portion to us. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verses 1 through 13, we understand that Jesus is speaking. And as he's speaking, it declares this, Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. So in other words, they have a lamp, they have oil the lamp, but they don't have anything additional. They aren't having this continual supply. So they took the lamp, they didn't take any additional oils with them. And of course, the, the scripture makes a statement, verse 3, those who were foolish, they weren't wise, they were the foolish ones who took their lamps and took no oil with them. Verse 4, but the wise took oil in their vessel with their lamps. But while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So they got them ready. They got them fixed. They trimmed them. They cut away the old wick. They made a fresh wick. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. So understand, when it comes to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it is not by might, nor by power, but is by the Spirit. But if you no longer have the Spirit, what's happening? Now it's of your own might, it's of your own power. And so we begin to see that they said, no, you have to go and you have to get it of yourself. Now in verse 10, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went up with him to the wedding and, to, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, as surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And this is key. It is important to always have your lamp filled and to make sure that you have the supply of the Holy Spirit. Now, in that, there's this passage I want to just give to you because I want you to understand that as they, the wise ones would tell the foolish ones, go buy it, go buy it, go buy it. There's a passage when it comes to the spiritual that I want you to understand how you purchase it. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, the, the first couple of verses make this statement. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. 
Yes, come, buy wine and milk with money, without money, and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. So he's talking about the spiritual. And with the spiritual, it's not a work that we have to earn it. It's not a work that we have to merit it. It's not anything that we have to pay for. I love the heart because he says, come and buy without money and without price. But it is coming to receive the gift, coming to receive what it is. But we have to come and we have to receive this anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have to receive the working of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to the anointing, I want you to understand that both Old Testament and New Testament depict that what we do as a church is their anointing that we do. It is the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but we have this copy, we have this type, and that copy and the type is the anointing with the olive oil. A couple of passages I want you to be aware of. The first is found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 40. Let me just read it to you as you jot it down. Deuteronomy 28, verse 40. He says, You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. And so he says, you shall have these olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil for your olives will drop off. Now understand, he's talking about a judgment that's going to come upon them. He's dealing with this is going to be a problem, but understand the point is in verse 40 is that you should be anointing yourself with the olive oil. In the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6, and let me just read this to you. Just one passage, Micah chapter 6, verse 15, makes this statement. You shall sow, but not reap. Yeah, Micah 6, 15. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread the olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. And make sweet wine, but not drink wine. So understand, once again, it's the olive oil and the anointing. So when it comes to this passage, that here in Exodus 27, you have pure oil that causes it to burn continually, and the, the priesthood begins to tend to it, and it's a statute forever. In other words, it's a foundational truth. What we begin to see is here, both Deuteronomy, both Micah, make this statement that the anointing takes place through the anointing of oil. Now, a passage in the New Testament found in the book of the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, I want to start reading in verse 7, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 12, just so that you can have an understanding of what we're looking at. But in Mark 6 verse 7, it makes this statement, And he called the twelve to himself. And he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. So Jesus sending his disciples 
out to minister and to serve. And it says this, he sends them out two by two. He gives them power over unclean spirits. In verse 8, he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he also said to them in verse 10, whatever place you enter, a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, just shake out the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And surely I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And now look at verses 12 and 13. So they went out and preached the people should repent and they cast out many demons. And notice this, and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They didn't just simply touch them or cast away, but what we see here is there's this understanding of even Jesus would send his disciples out and he would send them out with the olive oil and he would send them out with this oil for anointing. And what they would do is the people who were sick, they would anoint them and the anointing would bring the healing. And it was in the same way when Jesus, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, he would do what? He would give the Holy Spirit, they would be healed. Power would go out of him. And we understand that that was the ministry that he did. And as he does so, so do the disciples, but the disciples do it with that type, the symbol of the olive oil. In James chapter 5, verse 14, you know this passage, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Keep in mind what we're seeing here. There is this process of simply this. Verse 20 and verse 21 of our text of Exodus 27. You shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light. Nothing fancy. Nothing miraculous. It's just pure olive oil. This is what we recognize that God had told the nation of Israel, just take olive oil and use it for the anointing, nothing more, nothing less. And then we also see here that within this pure oil of pressed olives, in other words, nothing's added. What do I mean by nothing is added? into the oil that is going to cause the life, into the oil that is the type of the Holy Spirit, into the oil that is the anointing with us as well. There's a passage, and I want you to be aware of it. We're going to get to it in a couple of weeks, but it's found in Exodus chapter 30. In Exodus chapter 30, God is going to have the priest, through Moses, make an oil. And it's a very distinct oil, but it's an oil that is going to be used for anointing those things which are consecrated to God. I want to show you that there's a difference. 
and, and how God is going to use that. And of course, we'll get more into it when we get into chapter 30. But in Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 22, I'm going to read all the way down to verse 33. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices. Extra stuff. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. Now we begin to see that this is olive oil, but it's mixed with spices, myrrh, cinnamon, and we see cassia, which is another type of, of the, the spices. And so it's interesting that all these things are now added to the mix. More than just simply the olive oil, now it's a sweet-smelling aroma that is part of the olive oil. And in verse 25, you shall make from these a holy anointing oil an ointment compound according to the art of the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the labor and its base, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons, consecrate them, that they may minister to me as priest. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on a man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. So understand that there is a separate oil that is used for the anointing of all the implementations and the tabernacle and those who will serve in the tabernacle. Of that, it has a lot more than simply the simplicity of the pure olive oil. Now when it comes to all those other compounds, eventually what we're going to get into this is seeing it's more of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's more of how the Holy Spirit works through Him. We have the Spirit given to us in its purest sense, but Jesus being God, the Spirit being God, is a greater work than with all the anointing that Christ does as far as he being, the tabernacle being the copy, the shadow, the type of him and his ministry. So understand what begins to happen. There's a purity, and, and it's only us, by grace upon grace, do we receive the Holy Spirit. And it's only in the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit do we begin to now minister to the Lord. And so understand the key to what we're seeing here. I know it's only two verses. 
And I know I've gone through this, and this will be the third and last time I say it in this message. This is the turnaround point. The end of the ministry of Jesus Christ was to, as he ministered with the Holy Spirit, he would give the Holy Spirit to the church. He would give the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He would give the Holy Spirit. He would leave and he would send and send. He would leave and get the Holy Spirit, the helper, and he would send the helper. And the helper would stay with us forever. That's why Jesus ends with the anointing oil, the oil for the lamp, begins with us in our ministry, the oil for the lamp. And that is the foundation. So as we begin to build on this foundation, of the priest or how man now comes and approaches God understand this not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord we're going to see over and over again when it comes to the priesthood there's going to be this type of rest the simplicity the only really crazy colorful stuff comes upon the high priest and even he has to take that off when he goes into the Holy of Holies, he can't wear it. In the place of service among the people, he can, but it's all a representation of not, look at how great I am, but how I bear the burdens of the children of Israel. So it's just a real understanding to what this is, and I wanted to give you the full context of what this is, because it has to be pure olive oil. Look at verse 20 again of Exodus 27. Bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light. Only that, nothing more, nothing fancy. The simplicity of the pure olive oil and that oil is to cause the lamp to burn continually. This flow, this flow, this flow. Where does the flow come to? Grace upon grace. The spirit of God being not only with us but in us. That is the supply. And so as he comes in us and causes us now to go to the words of Christ, the heart of Christ, the ministry of Christ, then we begin to see that it is Aaron and his sons in verse 21 who are going to tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. So from the beginning of day, as, as evening sets is how the Jewish calendar begins until the morning. They bring this light continually before the Lord and it is a statute forever to their generations. That this is something that will never, ever change. And Christian, it cannot change for us. What we do in our ministry unto the Lord, God, you need to give me your Holy Spirit. You need to fill me and anoint me and then direct me and use me. And, and I don't want it to be all of this flash. It's amazing how so often everyone wants to look to the gifts and the gifts and the gifts and the gifts. And we do have gifts. God does impart to us gifts. But the simplicity is what? The greatest gift the Holy Spirit really gives us is to love one another. It's, 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 and it's not all the spicy stuff. It's not all the flash stuff. It's not everything that everyone goes, wow, this now becomes amazing when you look at the gifts. It's a simplicity of just the Spirit moving in us and causing us to, in simplicity and purity, just do the work of God. As we understand this book,
and the volume that is written of Christ and what he has done and that we follow in his heart. He says, if you just love me, keep my commandments. New commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you. So it's just this beautiful thing that it has to be a statute. It has to be something that we stand on. It's something that all of our ministry has to be. So as you begin to read through these next couple chapters, understand as it begins to depict our ministry of coming back to Christ, coming back to God because of the work that Christ has done, leaving heaven, coming, and eventually ending in the sacrifice, he sends the Holy Spirit so that we can have this anointing and then work our way back. And in our ministry unto the Lord, not as a labor of the law, but as a labor of love, we begin to see that this is now not my work. It's God's work that he works in me. And it just frees me up to realize that I don't have to do what everyone says the law does. I have to do what the Spirit guides me in his love. And so let that be our heart as we finish chapter 27. Amen? Amen. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for this word. So grateful that you, in your wisdom, so beautifully depict every single part of that tabernacle up to this point of Jesus coming out to us, ending with, Jesus, you did everything you did with the Holy Spirit. That was the anointing that you had. That's the anointing that Isaiah prophesied. That's the, the an anointing, Lord, that, that, that Mark depicts. But we also see that you promised, according to the Gospel of John, that you would send the Holy Spirit to us. And in Acts 10, you did that. You gave them the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you were anointed. It declares that as well. But you gave the Holy Spirit it now becomes part of our ministry. It becomes the foundation of our ministry. It becomes the purity of our ministry. That we can't boast in it. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by our ingenuity. It's not by our intuition. It's not by our abilities. It's by your spirit. And in your spirit, mountains become plains. And only by your spirit do they. That's why you say the armor of flesh cannot sustain you. But as you make the pass straight, as you bring mountains down to plains, you just simplify our walk in its purity. And thank you, Lord, that you've depicted that this is a statute forever, that we cannot change this. Once we've been made right with the Spirit, are we now going to be made perfect in our flesh? Certainly not. And so continue to direct us, Lord, understanding that all of this ministry is purely by your Spirit. Help us anchor into these truths, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>